Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So today we start our series, Weird, because normal isn't working. Now, how many people here would just confess and be honest and tell me that some area of your life seems to be functioning incorrectly? Anybody willing to confess? Few hands, everybody else just lying through your arms. (laughs) I think if we're honest, we know that normal just isn't working. And today, normal is just crazy, and it's uh, not balanced, it's not healthy. And as Christians, as Christ followers, as believers, we are called not to be normal. We are actually called to live a different type of life by different standards, different priorities. We are to look and act different. We're not supposed to fit in. There's supposed to be something unique about us. There's supposed to be something different about us. We are meant to be weird. Not a crazy weird, just to clarify. Got got enough of that. We are meant to be a God weird. And a God weird is a healthy weird. A God weird is a good weird. Because a God weird means we are set apart. And we're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to behave different. We're supposed to spend our time different. How we spend our money is supposed to be different. How our relationships look. How we think about sex and our overall values should be different. The way we live our lives should be different. And for some of you in the room, this might sound weird and a little bit over the top. Some of you might actually be thinking, Do we really need to do this? Do we really need to live weird? Do we really need to look different? Do we really need to live our lives this way? Well, yes, we do. We're supposed to be set apart. Here's the interesting thing, and this is kind of a key verse for this whole series. We're going to read from Matthew 7, verse 13, and it says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. It's not even that people go through it, only a few even find it. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. It's an easy road. It's easy to go on this road. Narrow is the gate and the path that God asks us to walk on. Not only is this scriptural, but the idea of living a normal life and living a life for God, even the secular world understands. And I'm going to explain it to you in a very short little illustration, and I'm going to quote a couple secular songs, just so you understand that even the world gets it. Do you realize if they're singing about hell, it's a highway to hell? Highway's got a lot of lanes. It's pretty wide open. That's not the song, but 
when they sing about heaven, it's a stairway to heaven. I don't know about you, I don't like stairs. If there's an escalator, I'm on it. If there's an elevator, I'll wait. But they understand it's a highway to hell. Get on it, just free riding. But to heaven, it takes work. For some reason, though, in the church, we believe when we give our heart to the Lord that as long as we come to church and as long as we maybe read our Bible outside of church, then we're okay. But that's not what the Bible talks about. I think it was in our staff meeting, I gave Carlo uh, credit in the first service, so he's going to get it in the second service. Somewhere in a meeting in the last week, we were talking about this, and this illustration came up, and I thought it was such a good illustration, that you as a Christian, if you were on trial in a court case, and you were found guilty of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove you guilty? Would they be able to prove that you were a Christian by the evidence in your life? Well, Chad, I attend church. So do a lot of people. Well, Chad, I own a couple Bibles. So do a lot of people. Jesus actually warns that many people will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, I never knew you. Broad is the road, narrow is the gate. I heard an illustration one time that the gate's so narrow that as you walk up to it, you can't carry your luggage with you. The gate's too narrow, so a lot of the stuff you carry in your life, you have to leave and walk and follow God. You have to leave some stuff behind. To walk and follow God, it's a narrow path. It's not always simple. It's not always easy. I remember when Melissa and I, when we first moved to Stratford, we went looking for houses to buy a house. And some of the older houses, as we were looking in them, uh, some of the main washrooms or the powder washrooms, uh, we'd find a house and Melissa would be like, oh, I like this one. And I'd be like, I can't live here. And I remember standing in a couple of the washroom doors and I couldn't fit. I was too wide for the doors. And I'm like, I can't, I can't live this way. I can't turn sideways just to use the washroom. <laughs> but I believe there's times on the path with God that we might have to turn sideways to get through. I believe there's times where our shoulders rub, and the reason it rubs is because it's almost like a sandpaper just making us smoother. And as we follow God, as we walk on this path, we are supposed to be on the narrow path. So the question is, are we? Or do our lives look like everyone else? Does my life look like my neighbor's? Does your life look like your neighbor's? Because see, we are supposed to be different. Our lives are supposed to be weird to people who don't follow God. Otherwise, why would they change? What would they change for? See, here's the thing. Your neighbor, your coworker who doesn't believe in Jesus is actually looking for something different. They're searching for it just as you did at one time. 
And what they're looking for is somebody else who's different because we know normal isn't working. So your coworker will come up to you privately and quietly if your life is different. And they will ask you for advice in areas and situations in their life. Because they know that your answer will be different. Students, people will come up to you in the hallway quietly, privately, and ask you for advice because your answer will be different. I play sports with a lot of teammates that aren't believers, and I had one call me one time. And he called me and told me that he wanted to talk to me because he knew my answer would be different because his wife was leaving him. And all of his friends would tell him just to forget it and move on. And on the phone, in tears, he said, but Chad, I love my wife. And I know your answer will be different. If our lives are different, people will notice. But if we fit right in, it actually isn't a good way to witness to them. Because if our life is the same, what do we have to offer them? See, I don't know about you, but if I go swimming at a pool, I want a lifeguard who knows how to swim better than me. So if I'm going to advice for somebody, I want them to have a life better than mine. We're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to look differently. So this morning, I just want to look at a few verses where God's word tells us how we're supposed to live differently. And the first one we're going to look at is James chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Isn't it great to know there's a variety it's not boring, it's not just one, it's many. Because you know that the testing of your faith, faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now let me ask you a question. If we read this verse and the only part of the verse was the last three words, not lacking anything. How many of you want this verse? Right, be honest, be honest, not lacking anything. God's word is telling you he wants you not lacking anything. Who's in? Right? Yeah, everybody's arms are healed and everybody's hands are up. It's like, yes, amen. But how many people know that that first verse is a little bit crazy? Like, we're not even talking weird at the moment. We're talking just a little bit crazy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let's get a cake. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. We're in the middle of trials. Pure joy. Let's celebrate. Who wants to have a dance party? Right? This sounds weird. The only ones who are green are the teenagers. Right? 
Does that not prove the point right there? Let's pray and go home. (laughs) Teasing, guys. But this is the truth. Now, here's the great thing about this. We are to consider it pure joy because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when you gain perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, you can't get the mature, complete, and not lacking anything without the testing. See, here's the thing that stinks. You can't have the testimony without the test. But as we walk through this and as we understand God's character, his character never changes. You might be in a hard situation, you might be in a tough situation, but his character doesn't change, that he will work it out for good to those who love him. The last little while we've shared a lot on this, almost this verse, just considering it pure joy or, or pushing through the trials and trusting the Lord and trusting his character. And I've had some people ask me a great question, a hard question, but a great question. And so I'm going to share just what this question is, and then I'm going to actually open up and share with you the answers. I've had people ask me about how I wrestle with my family's own health when I believe so strongly in God's healing power. And it's a great question. And that's exactly what I do. I wrestle. And we wrestle. We wrestle with it. We wrestle because I do believe in God's healing power and, and I believe that when I pray for people, they will be healed. And when I pray on a Sunday morning for people in this room and I ask the question, who feels better? Who, who feels a miracle in their body? And people raise their hand and say, my pain is gone. And they tell me months later, there's still no pain. I wrestle. I wrestle with the fact that I can pray for people anywhere and I see people get healed. But when I lay my hands on my own family and pray, it's not instant. It's not instant. But we see God move and we see him work. See, through the last little while, I've seen my daughter, Emma, come to love the Lord in a way that I never imagined. See, a while back, Emma's only eight, so you can try to figure out a child's relationship with the Lord. But I remember Melissa and I knew that her relationship just wasn't as deep as Miles. And we were just talking about it. And when Emma got her concussion back in the spring, she was only seven years old. And so she missed school for two months. She couldn't go outside. She had to stay in a dark room. And we pray. And we pray. But it was Emma that taught us a lesson. 
Because out of nowhere, she just walked up to Melissa and said, can we do communion? Because she understood there was power in communion. And so the seven-year-old would lead us in communion every day. And as this happened, we began to see her get better and get better. And then all of a sudden, it was like in one, a few days, she went from struggling to good. And we took her to the doctor, and the doctor was like, she's fine. Gel that had fallen off the back of her eyes because of the concussion that was supposed to never go back. She would always see spots. The eye doctor said, I don't understand it. The gel's all in place. But we wrestled. We wrestled through it. But our daughter loves Jesus more now than before. Did he allow it to happen? I would never say that. Did he work it out for good for those who love him? Yes. His character doesn't change. Miles has suffered with his skin and his allergies for 10 years. He's 10 years old. But if you remember when we first moved here to where he is today, he has come so far. The healing in his body. But his love for worship and his understanding of the peace that comes to his body and to his skin with worship So you have to understand how worship changes your situation. Even just by putting worship music on in your house and just having it play. Do you remember in the Bible when Jesus, where God took the anointing off of King Saul and sent a tormenting spirit? When that tormenting spirit bugged Saul, do you remember what they did? They called David and had him play his harp and worship and the spirit left. If you have struggles in your home, play some worship. Just let it roll through your house. Let the atmosphere change. Right now, one of the key songs for me, we sung it today. Raise a hallelujah. I don't know if you know the way that song was written, but the writer of the song, he got a phone call one night and one of the pastors in Redding, California, their son was like five years old and he was talking to him and he said, he's not gonna make the night. The doctors don't think he'll make it. And this guy hung up the phone and he said the first thing he said or he thought, I don't remember it fully, was he's not gonna make it. He's gonna die tonight. And it quickly checked his heart, and he's like, what, just, where's my faith? And he sat down on a piano, and he wrote the song. I'm going to raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. It wasn't better yet. It was in the thick of it. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. You need to raise a hallelujah in your situation. I told Miles not to be in the room because I knew I'd be talking about him. But Miles, when his skin gets real bad and it's real itchy, he will disappear sometimes to his room and we'll hear him playing worship music. 
And I remember when he was younger and holding him in one night, it's like two in the morning, he would just scratch and scratch. And we prayed and, and we tried every home remedy. We've tried, don't worry, whatever you're thinking, we tried it, I promise. <laughs> that cream that your great-grandmother made, we tried it. And to see him today, here's the crazy thing about this kid. He's allergic to kind of like summer, okay? But he started a grass-cutting business. And he plays travel baseball. Like, he's allergic to his hobbies. But to see him today and to see the healing that's happened in his body is incredible. Is he healed? No. But do you know that when we go upstairs when he disappears and you can hear him worshiping and he knows that the worship calms it. And when I held him at that time in the morning one time, I was praying with him and I didn't know, you don't know what to do. You have no idea. You just sit there and you hold and you pray. Because what do we do when we don't know what to do? We pray. A lot of us, even when we know what to do, we should probably just stop and pray. And he looked at me and he just said, Dad, can you pray? Not kidding, his words, that weird way. Like, what do you mean, the weird way? That language that I don't understand. I said, you want me to pray in tongues? Yeah. So I started praying in tongues and then I stopped for a minute because I'm like, why is my kid asking me to do this? And so I just said, why are you asking me to pray in tongues? Because it's different, it makes it feel better. So my young boy understands the power of praying in tongues and, and he began to pray for it himself and then one time we sneak up the stairs when he's worshiping on his own and all of a sudden we hear him worshiping in tongues. Do I like Summers with what he has to go through? No. But do I see the relationship that God has with him? Yes. Do I trust God's character? Yes. Is it easy? No. I wrestle just like you. I wrestle. In the last, this one's the hardest one. It's only one person left, right? <laughs> In the last six months, really 10 years, it's actually harder with you in the room. To see what my wife has had to go through when I've prayed for other people. I wrestle. But what I can't even explain to you is in the last six months how the leadership of this church and the people of this church have responded, has brought healing that we can't even explain that we didn't even really know. And to see my wife step into more of the woman of God that he has called her to be, and to see a next level of anointing in her life and gifts flowing out of her. In the first service, I said, don't tell her, so don't tell her. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it. I know she would. 
But to see what's come through it, it's been a wrestle. It's been a fight. I don't share this so that you can tell us later or anything. I share it because my job, my role that God has asked me to do is to encourage you to do the things that he's called you to do and to be brave and to worship him and to cry out to him and celebrate who he is and consider it pure joy. And some of you ask good questions. Chad, how do you do it? I wrestle just like you. And so when I'm encouraging you this morning that it is weird, but trusting his character and knowing who he is and hanging on to his promises, that will not fail you. That will get you through. And if you pause and you look back, some of you, six weeks, some of you, six months, some of you, six years, you will see a promise of God that he held on to. He came through. He revealed his true character again. And you went, oh, yeah. And even in this moment, he's bringing back to memory the times where you knew his character because he revealed it to you, and that character still stands today. And he is walking you through it. Because, see, here's the thing that kind of stinks with Tess. You learn something. You learn something. And so I've started asking God in the middle of it, while I wrestle, God, what are you teaching me? What are you showing me? Because see, deep down, you know what God wants for me is the same he wants for you. He wants to make you mature, complete, and not lacking anything. If you're like me, he's having a hard time on the first one about being mature. But complete and not lacking anything, we're improving on. But God has called us to consider it pure joy. And we never doubt his faithfulness. I don't always understand. I'll be honest, I don't always understand at all. But I do believe and I do trust Another weird thing that God asks us to do is found in Luke 6. Starting at verse 27, it says, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Think about that one. If I slap you upside the face, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Who wants to illustrate with me? Anybody? As long as I have faster reaction, re reflexes, we're all good. But isn't it, like you read that, you realize this is what God is telling us. If somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. Don't fight back. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We're going to pause there for a minute. Can we just jump back to the other slide for a sec? Sorry. This is crazy. This is weird. Love those who mistreat you. 
turn the other cheek. If they take your coat, give them your shirt. Do you understand why they say that? Do you understand why Jesus instructs you? If they take your coat, give them your shirt. Because here's the thing. You can't take anything from me that I give you. So the moment you're going to take something from me, if I give you more, now I don't feel like you're taking anything. I've given it to you. Do you know in those days, Roman soldiers could ask somebody, hand them their bag and say, you carry this. And they had to carry it a mile. Jesus taught to carry it in one more. Carry it two, carry it two. Why? Because now they're not taking anything from you. You're giving it to them. Chad, that's weird. Yes, it is. So I challenge you, as it says here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Tomorrow you're heading to work. If you have a coworker, an unbeliever, and you know they don't like you, they talk about you behind your back, they've spread rumors, they actually talk about you right to your face. It's not a thought that they don't like you. You know they don't like you. Bring them a coffee tomorrow. Or bring them a tea, if that's what they like. They're not saved. It's a coffee joke for all the tea drinkers in the room. Fair enough. (laughs) Because here's why we do these things. Verse 32 goes on to say this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And when your reward is, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So if I can paraphrase this part, you love those who love you, You care for those who care for you. You bless those who bless you. Paraphrasing, (laughs) whoopity-doo. Everybody does that. But we're called to be weird. We are called to love those who don't love us. See, I believe that this actually goes a little bit farther. And I believe that we are supposed to give everybody, give each other the benefit of the doubt. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Because see, here's the thing. We live in a world with technology where people can text each other, people can throw stuff online, people can see different things. And here is the dilemma with all of that. Have you ever had a text message, misread it, got upset, and found out it wasn't even the way you read it? Give everybody the benefit of the doubt. If I can take it one of two ways, one way you love me, the other way you hate me, I'm going to take it the way that you love me. Because I'm just crazy enough to believe everybody loves me. Do I know deep down that people probably don't? 
Maybe. But I just think everybody loves me. You want to know why? Life's easier that way. Chad, they said this about you. They were joking. They love me. (laughs) Chad, are you that naive? No, I just try to be joyful. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Do you know that actually one of our steps, the third step, the steps across the bridge, is that John Bevere's book called The Bait of Satan? And in this book, he talks about how the enemy, how the devil uses offense, offense in your life to hinder your walk with the Lord. Every one of us deals with offense. But here's the thing about offense. It really only affects you. Do you want to know why? Because most times the other person doesn't even know they did something wrong. And what really, really stinks about that is when you're ripped apart inside because you're dealing with the offense and you see them, they usually are in the moment of their life where they're just skipping along, happy and cheerful and singing along, and you're like, I want to kill you. Do you know how you hurt me? And deep down, they're like, no, no clue. If we begin to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, If you begin to believe that people love you and care for you, you will begin to see things totally different. Well, Chad, that's probably maybe a naive way of living. I'm smiling. And we're supposed to be weird. If you take everything to offense, how is life going? I remember probably three years ago, That's probably where I was at. And Melissa straight up called me on it. We were driving in the car for about an hour and I was just talking and she just stopped me and she said, Chad, you haven't said a positive thing in the last hour. And it hurt, but it was true. And about a year later, you know what she accused me of? Being an optimist. But I started counting my blessings. I started rhyming off the things that were good in my life because I didn't like the person I was. I didn't like always complaining because if I tell you the truth, my life is pretty awesome. I got an amazing wife. I got a great job. My coworkers are all right. (laughs) I have a great church family. I have a house. I got a roof over my head. I got warm blankets. I got food on the table, sometimes too much. But I don't have really anything to complain about. Well, Chad, that's weird because everybody wants more today. Well, that's the normal. But if you're weird and are happy with what you have, you'll be happy with what you have. We'll be happy. See, our lives are supposed to be weird. Francis Chan, he says in the book Crazy Love, he says, having faith often means doing what others see as crazy. But here's the catch. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Do you realize that? If your unbelieving friend 
identifies with your life and doesn't think it's weird, how separate are you living? Our life is supposed to look different. It's supposed to look weird. See, our unbelieving friends are supposed to look at you and think your life is different. Do they? Do they think your life is different? Or do you live the same? Do we tell the same jokes? Do we watch the same shows? Do we watch the same movies? Do we have the same beliefs? Do we have the same habits? See, Revelations, is, as God is talking to one of the churches, he says in Revelations 3, 15 to 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor, or sorry, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It doesn't really get any straighter than that, does it? Well, what do you mean, Chad? He wants us cold? Well, no. He doesn't. But basically he's saying, make up your mind. What are you going to do? So this morning as we talk about weird and living a different life, what are you going to do this morning? Are you going to leave here and live the same way? And stay living lukewarm? See, as I... I'm honest, I love coffee and tea. It's okay. I don't mind tea. Just teasing everybody. But even hot and tea, even coffee or tea, it's either good hot. Am I, did I get this right? Am I up there? No, coffee and tea. That's what I said at the beginning. Yeah. All right, I'm good. My brain's in a different direction, but we're rolling. Here we go. Even, see, as soon as I start talking about tea, it messes me right up. No, I'm joking. I actually got Melissa on to tea. She'll tell you the whole story. So, with tea or coffee, it is either good hot or it is good cold. It is that in-between window that is disgusting. (laughs) And this is what God is saying. Live your life hot for me or decide to live cold. Because in the middle... I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Chad, that's pretty blunt. I'm just quoting scripture. Just quoting scripture. He is telling you this morning, he has told me, Chad, you live hot for me or you live cold. You make up your mind. But if you were in the middle, if you were sitting on the fence, I will spit you out of my mouth. So this morning, the decision's ours. It's nobody else's. Your parents can't make the decision for you. Your spouse can't make the decision for you. This decision is yours. It's your choice. Because going back to Matthew 7, reading from the message version, it says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. There is no shortcuts. Living for God takes work and attention in all areas of our lives. So today I challenge you, give up the normal life and embrace the weird life. 
and fully surrender yourself to God. If you haven't signed up for a small group yet, it's not too late. I'm going to encourage you to sign up, get plugged in. This series is truly life-changing. It's going to impact all areas of your life if you allow it. Because here's the thing, after today, as I finish and I'm going to close in prayer, I can share with you any message, any time. But now, as always, it's up to you to take it and do something with it. If you can openly confess and know in your heart, and if we're honest, we all know it, normal isn't working. And so the change that you need is to follow God in the way he's asked us to, which just looks weird. But I can promise you, it's a good weird. And so I encourage you, sign up for a small group. And so, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your power. Lord, I thank you for your uh, call in our lives to live differently so we can reach, reach the world. And so, Holy Spirit, as we leave today, guide us and lead us. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. And help us to be a light for you. Let us shine for you. Let us be that little bit weird so people know there's a difference. And Holy Spirit, guide us to the ones that you need us to speak to. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Please, if you need prayer, go see somebody at the front. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.